You're listening to the Youth for Life podcast with Michelle Baum, director of Why for Life at Lutherans for Life, where we prepare youth to be gospel-motivated voices for life. Be sure to stick around after today's live recording of our Chats for Life program to find out how you can be live too on our next Youth for Life podcast. So welcome to Chats for Life tonight. We're going to take a look at the armor of God and how God prepares us for the battles ahead. Our guest presenter tonight is Pastor Kilgo, and he is going to start us off with prayer. Let us pray. Blessed Lord, you have caused all holy scriptures to be written for our learning. Grant that we may so hear them, read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest them, that by patience and comfort of your holy word, we may embrace and ever hold fast the blessed hope of everlasting life. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. I am, as uh, Ms. Bauman said, I'm Pastor Kilgo. I serve at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. And along with that, I also serve as a campus pastor at the University of Kansas. So one of the ways that Pastor Kilgo got connected with Chats for Life is he was a presenter at Higher Things this summer in North Dakota. So that was one of the ways we got connected. And, and since he serves youth, um, that's an awesome opportunity for him to come in and talk to us about life issues tonight. So, All right. Y'all just have so many questions. So great. So I will, I will tell you, as I'm going, the way I usually do this is if you've got a question about something, if I say something that you're like, well, what about this? Or if I say something that doesn't make sense or whatever it might be, just stop me. So there's a couple of recent events, right, that we all know is going on. One is with Afghanistan, uh, and particularly considering our brothers and sisters in Christ that are in Afghanistan, right, that they are put into this position where it's no longer a matter of, and, and this is true, not just in Afghanistan, right? It's just the one that's most on our mind. This is true in any country that's hostile to the gospel. We've seen this in China. We've seen this in other places in the Middle East. You've seen this historically in some places in Europe, but that their decision is not, you know, do I go to a football game or do I go to church or, you know, do I sleep in my comfy bed or do I go to church or whatever it might be? It's do I go to church or do I stay alive? Like that, that's the, the decision that's being made right now. Right. So this is, one one thing that's going on. The other is, God be praised, the the recent ruling with, sorry, I'm blanking on state names, Texas, the recent ruling with Texas, right, with the the abortion ban. And if, if you haven't read about how they did this, it's actually pretty interesting how they went about getting this into place. What it is, is it allows for private lawsuits to be brought into place. That's how, how they're kind of doing a workaround on this. And why the Supreme Court did not dismiss it because the the procedural grounds are proper, right? So that that's what it is. And so we should pray, even though this is an initial victory, there, there is the possibility this could come back to the Supreme Court if there is, if it's deemed there's like some great harm done to somebody because of this. So we should keep this in our prayers that that doesn't happen. But this is a very, very good thing. And, and in all of this, there is this, this standing firm sort of idea, 
right? And that's kind of what I want to get at with this, with the, with the armor of God. So when we think about the armor of God, it this is one of these texts. I, I've got a handful of texts that I refer to as the John 316 text, right? So, you know, you've got, you know, the placards at the baseball game and says John 316. Interestingly, it never goes to 17, right? Because that's the, that's the text we don't like so much because that talks about those that are condemned because of unbelief. But we like the text that says that God loves everybody. And what, what's interesting is that John 3.16 is a, is a very deep text. If you, if you look at it, there's a lot that's going on in that text. There's a lot of background to it. But because it's so familiar to us, it's unknown to us. And so this is this, if, if, you, if you've ever heard the phrase familiar, familiarity breeds contempt, this is that sort of thing. But in this case, it's familiarity breeds the unknown, right? Or, or not understanding. And so there, there's a number of texts that are like this. There's a number of texts that are kind of the Christian 101 texts, but they're so common to us. And we just kind of take them for granted that we don't really ever dig into them and know what they mean. You know, another one that, and it just gets misused all the time is the, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me deal. Right. And we ignore the first part that talks about being able to endure plenty and hunger and, and all this, being able to stand in, in whatever situation in life God gives us. So in the armor of God, there's this really fantastic background and, and you need the background to understand this. And it, it's an Old Testament background. So here's the question. Do you, do you know in the Old Testament, we have this word host, right? The Lord of hosts. This shows up in our liturgy, actually, as the word Sabaoth of Sabaoth Lord. This is in the uh, Sanctus that we sing. And it's not a misprint of Sabbath. It's a different word. Do any of you know what that word is, Sabaoth or host, what that actually means? Angels? No, it, it is actually connected with the angels in an interesting way. So the, the word host means army. Okay. I kind of wish we'd just translate it as army because it'd make a lot of the Old Testament make a whole lot more sense. So when he says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, it's saying the Lord of the armies, the God of Israel. Now, no, here's the question, which army are we talking about then? If he's the Lord of the armies, what army? And was it Macy? Were you the one that said angels? Right. So this is, this is, this is the first half of this, right? This is the angelic army. So we have like, for example, St. Michael, the archangel who is going and battling against the demonic forces and whatnot. You get that picture in Daniel and get it in Revelation. And th this big war that's going, that, that's uh, what, Revelation 7, right? War broke out in heaven. So, someone fact check me on that, on whether that's Revelation 7 or not. It's Revelation something. So he's the, the, the Lord of the angelic armies, but there's another army. When we talk about the church, we talk about the church that's here and the church that's in glory. And do you know the, the names for those? They're actually the titles of the hymns in our hymnal in the church. So you've got the, the section for the church, and then you've got the section for the church something, and then the church something else. Well, we have the church militant section. Right. Right. So the church militant. That is, you can hear the word military in there, right? The church militant is the church that's fighting, right? And this is, you know, you can hear this from St. Paul, fight the good fight, run the race, keep the faith. Uh, and then when he's about to die in 2 Timothy, at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the fight, 
right? So you've got the angelic army and you've also got the, the army here, right? And that's us, right? The, the Lord's Christians, that we are an army. But the question is like, what are then we given to do? How, how does this work? So that's, that's part of what we want to answer with this. But the Lord himself is out there fighting. And, th and this is key. The Lord is actually engaged in the war himself. He doesn't just send out the army and sit back as like some sort of emperor on his throne and just like watch people duke it out. He's actually there in the very midst of all of this, right? So one of the big texts on this is in Exodus 15. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang the song to the Lord saying, do you guys know this? The, the song of Moses. I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider he has thrown into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My father's God and I will exalt him. It, we tend to like stop there and we need to go one more verse. The Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name, right? Because what's just happened? Like he's, he's just conquered the Pharaoh and his army, right? So it makes sense that he's going to call him a man of war. Right. He actually engages in this war. You have this in Samuel. We, we kind of missed this in first Samuel 17, when you've got the account of David and Goliath. Right. So the Philistines said to David, come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. And David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. So the Lord of the armies the God of the armies of Israel. So there, like it actually gets that it what, what's it's the same word though, right? So I come to you in the name of the Lord of armies, the God of the armies of Israel. What changes is his name, right? Lord, it's the all caps Lord. So that's Yahweh, right? And God, Elohim. So Yahweh of the armies and Elohim of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand. And I will strike you down and cut off your head, et cetera, et cetera. And then he goes galumping back to the people of Israel. Who got the Lewis Carroll reference? Anybody get the Lewis Carroll reference? Uncultured. Y'all are uncultured. It's the Jabberwocky. Go read Lewis Carroll. Go read the Jabberwocky. He goes galumphing back, right? Yeah. And then here's another one. And this is where you're going to hear this. So when the Lord goes out to fight, he it's interesting. Like you would think like the Lord can just like go out and do this, but he actually puts on armor, which is kind of a weird idea, right? But this is going to play into now what, what's he giving us. So this is Isaiah 59. This is a beautiful text. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. That kind of sounds rather familiar, doesn't it? Truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. That sounds very much like what we just deal with on a daily basis. Truth is lacking and he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The Lord saw it and it, it displeased him that there was no justice. He saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought him salvation and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. According to their deeds, so he will repay wrath to his adversaries, repayment to his enemies, to the coastlands he will render repayment. 
So they shall fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, for he will come like a rushing stream, which the wind of the Lord drives. And a redeemer will come to Zion, those in Jacob who turn from transgression, declares the Lord. So you can hear that, right? That uh, if you know the, the, the arm of God, right, you can hear it's the exact same stuff, right? The, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation. Now, he doesn't put on us garments of vengeance, as clothing, he puts on us the garments of salvation as clothing. So there, there's a difference there. And wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. I would say he does do that. That's a, a, a different thing. So there's, there's God. He's out there fighting, right? And particularly, this fight takes place for us in a very particular place and very particular time. Any guesses? On this one, where, where, where does God's fight for us have its full culmination? On the cross. Yep. So on the cross, Jesus says this, right? How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? Then indeed he may plunder his house. So the binding of the strong man, right? Jesus is the stronger man. The devil's the strong man. And the binding of the strong man is at the cross. Right. This is the Genesis 3.15 promise that the serpent's head will be crushed by the seed of the woman. Right. And so at the cross, you have this this fight take place and Jesus emerge victorious. It, there's this fantastic hymn, Christ, Christ Jesus lay in death strong bands. Do you guys know this? Luther's Easter hymn. Right. It was a strange and dreadful strife when life and death contended. The victory remained with life. The reign of death is ended, right? This is, this is Luther's picture of the cross, right? In, in that hymn. And it's beautiful. And I love that imagery. Life and death are contending with each other when Jesus is on the cross, right? And so Jesus does all this. He fights all this. And then he sends us as the church militant out to fight, right? And in order to aid us in that, he gives us this armament, right? Which is the armor of God. So this is kind of the whole background, but even still, before we get into the actual armor, you've got to read the part that goes up into it, right? That this whole, it starts at 610 is, is where the armor of God passage starts. And we kind of skim through all of it because we want to get to the good part, right? We want to get to the breastplate and the helmet and the sword and all the store stuff, because we want to picture ourselves as like running out into the fray and slashing at all the demons and chopping their heads off and all this sort of stuff. Right. But this isn't the picture. Right. So, so listen, listen to the, the, the picture that's given us here. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So it's his strength, not ours. Right. And we know that. Put on the whole armor of God, and I'm going to pause on that. That word, put on, that, that word in the Greek is the word that Paul loves to use for baptism, right? So if, if you've never been told this before, the armor of God is a baptismal thing. So when you are baptized, you have the armor of God placed on you, right? You've, you've had it this whole time. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of this in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand or stand against 
in the evil day, and having done all to stand firm, stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, et cetera, et cetera. So what, what's, the, what's this word that keeps showing up in here, like over and over and over? So, so listen for a word that shows up four times. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, etc., etc. Sounds like a lot of standing. It is a lot of standing. It's not, it, it's not moving, right? It, which, which is the idea behind this. So here's the picture that I want in your minds. And if you get nothing else out of this, great. Hopefully you get more than this out of this. You are in the middle of a, of a war, right? And there's chaos and battle all around you. Jesus is out in the, in the midst of this, you know, fighting against the devil and, and conquering him. And there you are clothed in this armor and your feet are just dug into the ground so firmly that you can't be moved from that spot. Right. And then when the dust settles and the war is over, there you are. And there are all the Lord's Christians standing and all the demons are slain. The devil's defeated and the Lord's Christians are victorious on the last day. Like that, that's the picture that's going on here, right? So everything that's going to be given to us in the in the armament if, is given to us in order to stand, right? Not to run out into the battle, not to go and like flail around with our sword or whatever. Have, have you guys ever watched Monty Python search for the Holy Grail, quest for the Holy Grail? Have you guys seen this? Okay, so you're not completely uncultured. You remember the Black Knight scene, so the Black Knight where he gets his arms and his legs chopped off and he's like still like at the end, he's a little stump and he says, all right, we'll consider it a draw. Right. So this is the picture I like to use for those who have seen Monty Python of what happens when we try and just kind of rush out and, you know, slash against all the demons and this sort of stuff. Right. To, to think of ourselves as these warriors that are like, you know, running out into the fray instead of standing. So we're kind of like the Black Knight. We're, we're rushing out into a battle uh, that's not actually given to us to fight, right? The battle's where we are, right? You don't have to go anywhere to find the battle. Now, I think you guys probably know this being in college a lot better than a lot of people do. You, don't, you, you merely have to step out of your door, uh, of your dorm or your apartment or whatever. How many of you are in dorms? Nobody's in a dorm. One person's in a dorm. Yeah, there's actually two that are in a dorm and, and the other person that something happened to her computer, she's in a dorm as well. And then there are two that are in high school still. So okay. not yet in a dorm. Not yet in dorms. Okay. But I mean, you, I mean, even in high school, right? You, you merely just need to like walk out your door, go to school, like, and you know that you're in the middle of a battle, right? It does not take very much looking around to see this. Can and they... So, can they yeah. like give examples of that? Yeah, I would I would love to hear like if you guys have particular examples of how this has played out in your own life, like the 
the the the battle against like we said it's flesh and blood but against the spiritual forces now that occurs through flesh and blood but it we're we're not we're not enemies of one another as humans right we like the lord desire all to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth but the the devil likes to recruit to his aid our sinful flesh so I, I would love actually to hear some of the trials and whatnot, some of the, some of the battle that you guys have encountered. Go ahead, Macy. So mine's actually related to a life issue too. So for school, we have like a school email on Outlook and somehow we're not sure how it happened. I think a summer teacher signed me up for it, but I got Planned Parenthood emails. I got subscribed and my dad was obviously very angry. And so my pastor told him to like write a letter to the superintendent principal and the school board president. And they like really fought back and they tried to blame it on me that I subscribed to them. But my dad just, he just did not give up. He was like, no, you're gonna deal with this. And they, they did take care of it, but it was, it was a process. Right. Yeah, and the very fact that they would have emails for high schoolers um, and get, be given access to high schoolers to sign up, you know, indicates, indicates a battle. So what other life issues do you face on a daily basis? Like what other things happen on your campuses where you, or, or evidences of battle um, where it's very clear Satan is working against, against the will of God. That was a great example. Any others? Well, not that this is like a like a bad thing though like right now being in school um and just starting up I've been having a lot of struggles with like my faith life it's like I don't know that Satan knows that I'm going into church work and just knows that I'm vulnerable and I, I don't know like that I'm really struggling in life and I think he's using it as a way to like attack me but I think also like how sometimes our school will like praise the diversity of cultures I think sometimes that's not always a good thing like I'm, I'm not saying that you know other cultures are bad but like some of the like Muslim kids that go here are in like higher positions in our school not like teachers you know but like you know high in their clubs or whatever and they're like oh yeah look at all these different types of people we have here and that's really kind of frustrating too well, so I was actually just having a conversation with someone else about this on the whole, every college now has like a diversity council and, and whatnot. But what's interesting is if you look at them, they're not actually very diverse, right? One of the things that you will almost never find on diversity council is a conservative Christian, right? And that's one of the places where you can see like there, there is a, a definite attack against truth. And like you're, you're asking like specifically with like, so with life, one of the things is that anytime there is an attack on the truth of God's word, it is an attack on life, right? This is, this is always interconnected, but in particular, and I, I would say if, if you want a great place to go and like see where the, the attack is coming very clearly is go walk into your bookstore on campus, right? Go see the books that they put out on campus and that are hopefully not at Chicago. They're doing that at Chicago. Let me know. I'll write, I'll write a strongly worded letter, but 
in a lot of cases, like you, you, you can kind of see what the, what fight they are bringing to you, right? This, this is what they're, what they're putting to you. Also, like, just look at the, the posters on the community boards at, at school and whatnot, or the emails that you get, like you were saying in college, it gets worse, right? You get all sorts of emails that you don't want. And so this is kind of all over the place, but what about professors? Have you ever had a, a, a conflict over the truth? And you don't have to you know, declare that or professors or teachers just show up hands where there's been a conflict internally in the classroom, um, maybe with, with truth versus the cultural norms, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we're even, you even see that in, and, and sometimes that's in Christian schools, right? Because Christian schools have a hard time finding sometimes teachers that are going to align with everything that, that the Bible teaches. Right. So, I mean, you, even in Christian schools have to be aware that sometimes there is going to be that, that conflict with truth. Right. Right. So with this, right, that this, this whole standing deal, this is what we would call the language of vocation, right? Are you all familiar with this vocation where you've been called? And, and there's a whole variety of these vocation is it just has a ton of, of aspects to them. So like, obviously y'all are students, right? But you're also sons or daughters. You're also friends. You're also Christians. If you've got a job, you're also a worker, right? I mean, there, there's all these kind of nuances to this. And so the Lord has placed us into all these different areas. And, and for y'all, if you're on like a life team or something like that, that's part of your vocation, right? As an advocate for, in particular, the sanctity of life. So when, when the devil comes to attack this stuff, right, when he comes to attack life broadly, one of the ways that he does this is that he attacks life specifically through the commandments that are around life, right? So if you ever wonder why there's such an attack on, on the fourth commandment with authority, parents, authorities, these sorts of things, and why there's such an attack on marriage, because one of the ways that the devil can get to life is by attacking the walls that are placed on either side of life. So if you think about life as every commandment is kind of putting a, a wall around its own thing. So the fourth commandment is putting a wall, a fortress around authority as a good gift. The fifth commandment around life, the sixth commandment around marriage, seventh commandment around property, eighth commandment around reputation, et cetera, et cetera. So each one has its own little wall. What's interesting is particularly in the fourth, fifth, and sixth, and you can actually expand it even further, but especially in the fourth, fifth, and sixth, that the fourth commandment is also drawing a wall, not only around itself, but also around life. It's kind of a, a secondary wall next to it. And then the sixth commandment is drawing a wall, not only around itself, but also around life as well. So that the Lord's actually drawn very strongly these three walls around life because if we think about this life is brought about through the estate of marriage and it's cared for or or provided for through the estate of the authority right a particular of mothers and fathers and so life is granted through the sixth commandment and preserved through the fourth commandment right so if if the devil wants to get at life this is the thing the devil knows the commandments better than we do so he knows where to attack. Uh, so he's going to attack these things. So when we see like where, where the devil's attacking life and where we need to be standing, actually taking a stand 
if you want to use that language on these things, we've got to watch the peripheries as well. It's kind of like if you're in a war, you've got to watch your, you've got to watch the flanks right on either side, because if you're just watching right in front of you, you're going to miss the guys that have come around the outside and they're going to come in from the side and go through. There's actually one of the, I don't know why it took so long to figure this out, but this is one of the tactics that like in the Napoleonic Wars that was figured out that you could take cavalry around to the outside and come through and you just kind of cut through the, the forces. But this is what the devil does, right? It's probably where Napoleon learned it. That was a joke. I actually have a question about that. So yeah. if we're talking about the sixth and the fourth commandment, and, and I like how you phrase that, that there it's, you know, it's attacking the walls that affirm life and, and the sixth commandment, it, you know, affirms that marriage and the fourth commandment authority. So guys, when you think of life issues, can you think of, can you think of anything that's going to lead to a life issue? Now, I know some of you, I've talked to you about the, the spider web idea, this idea that, that we all have different things that are going to be leading to a life issue, right? If, if we don't have healthy habits, we don't have if we aren't connected to the faith, there are lots of things that can create a life issue in our life. So how many of those, well, name one that's connected to the sixth commandment then? Well, I think as we begin to disregard, you know, these commandments that God has laid out for us, that's when we see life issues occurring because you have with the sixth commandment, when marriage is no longer held up, then you have divorce and all the responsibilities of family being given away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Any others? Does that does that affect leadership in the family? Does that affect authority? Does that affect the system that God has created to affirm life? Simeon's nodding his head. Yes. <laughs> yes. In what way, Simeon? I mean, if you don't have a solid family system, especially in the home, then You'll have, I mean, you can obviously see this a lot in the African-American community. They have a very high level of abortion rates because they don't have a set family at home and someone to teach, especially the boys, how to be good fathers. And it just turns into a really bad situation where the a good central family is hard to find. Okay, so anywhere where you have a, a family that's that's not intact, the the idea of abortion becomes more amenable, right? A, a, a more of a possibility. Um, you see that in the, when, when you look at the ages of people who get an abortion, right? 20 somethings, they have the highest rate of abortion. And very often those 20 somethings, the majority of those 20 somethings that are getting abortion are 20 somethings who are living with someone rather than married to someone. Right. So, so they're living together before marriage. So again, even that, that institution of marriage that God intends to support life, clearly it does have an effect not only on the lives of the individuals, but of the, the couple, but the lives of children. Right. right. When you can, you can actually see the, how it traces through, right. In an example like that. So you have, you have a, a couple that are living together right? They're not upholding the, the, the state of marriage. The girl gets pregnant, right? And the guy splits, right? And there you have the fracturing of the fourth commandment, right? Because whether he wants to admit it or not, he's now been placed into the vocation of father, right? He just doesn't want to deal with that. So he splits that 
fractures the fourth commandment. And now these two barriers on either side of life have been obliterated. And the next one that falls is the fifth, right? It, it tracks actually from the sixth into the fourth and then to the, to the fifth. And that's a pretty common path for this. That's why we've got to watch the peripheries. The, the other thing, and, and Simeon, you'd, you'd mentioned this, but this is very important, is the, the epidemic in our society of fatherlessness is very, very big on this. And th this is part of vocation. So like if you're a father, right, you're given to stand in your household and to be this anchor. And, and what's, it's a very strange thing, the influence and impact that fathers have. So if you look at things like what is the, what, what are the, the, the main contributing factors or the main risk factors of things like going to jail, like the number one risk factor of going to jail is not having a father, right? I mean, one of the biggest risk factors, I mean, if you want to phrase it that way, of abortion is single motherhood, right? Not having, a, not having the father there. And over and over and over, Drug usage is the same way. All, all these things, the it's at least in the top three is is the lack of of having fathers, and it's both like either the fathers just left or the fathers there but not there, right? And this is one of the things that we're we're struggling with, so that you can be. This is a good example of the standing. You you can be physically present, but you've abandoned your post, right? So if you want to think of this in terms of of like war battle sort of stuff. God has set us at as, as a century, you might think. So do you guys know what centuries are? So they're, you know, they're up in the little tower or whatever, or you can use the, um, the old Testament term, the watchman, right? So they're standing up in the tower. What, what's their job, right? They're, they're, they're always scanning the horizon and they're watching for the, the enemy to come up and then they start sounding the alarm, right? Well, if you fall asleep, you've abandoned your post, even though you're actually there, right? This is important for us to realize we can be there and not be there, if that makes sense, right? And so we want to kind of guard against that. And for us as Christians, the way we man our post is through our, through our works, but also through our lips, right? So, so that Christians, and, and this is one of the things that shows up in the armor of God, like, I'm not going to go through the whole armament, but you go through all this, but what's very, very fascinating is how the whole thing's bracketed. What's the, what's the very first thing that's listed in the armor of God? What's the first armament? If you could, I, I know that most of the students either have Bibles handy or they have their phones ready. Yeah. So if you want to tell them which, where Ephesians, to look it up. Ephesians 6. So if you've got, if you've got a Bible around or you're looking at your phone or your computer or if you got a codex or something, right? Tablets, clay tablets. Bonus points if you read it back in the original Greek. The belt of truth. Right, the belt. Which, So think about how you get dressed. Is the belt the first thing you put on when you get dressed? I hope not. If you are, you need to go talk to somebody about how to get dressed. So, so we have to kind of ask this question, like, why is this the first thing that's there? Right. Why, why, why belt of truth as the very first thing that's listed? Because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. That's one of them. Right. You know, going back to the baptismal deal, right. 
in baptism, you're literally clothed with Jesus. You guys know that the, the hymn, I love our hymns, by the way. So I, I will probably quote a bunch of you during this time. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. You guys know this hymn, right? Have you ever thought about the first stanza of this? Jesus, thy blood and righteousness. And I'm going to rephrase, I'm going to rephrase it kind of more plain English. Jesus, thy blood and righteousness are my beautiful clothing. Amidst a world that is on fire, clothed in these, I will lift up my head in joy. That's what the first stanza says, right? That we're actually clothed with Jesus and his blood and his righteousness. So the the first part is that it's Jesus. But what's the other part? So if you're thinking about like you're you're in the middle and you're fighting a battle, like why why belt of truth? Well, think about what's the purpose? Well, for us, it's a little bit different. For us, you wear a belt so that your pants don't fall down, right? In the Roman world, the belt not only did that, but it kind of held the whole system of armor together. And it was the thing that you hang your sword on, right? So the, so if you're not wearing the belt, one, your armor is not actually going to function the way it's supposed to, and you're not going to be able to hang the sword there, right? So if, if you're thinking kind of these terms, then why belt of truth is the very first thing? It protects you against the devil. It keeps you st- to stand strong, like we were talking about. Like mm-hmm. my mom always says, like the like the the churches that are like pro-choice, the problem with drawing a line in the sand is eventually the water's going to come up and wash it away. Mm-hmm. Right, and and so you've got to have for that you've got to have truth, right? In in order to actually fight against something, you have to know whether that something is wrong or true, right? So so that truth is is kind of the, the thing that holds this whole system together. And if you look through these, right? So you've got, you've got the belt of truth and then you've got the, I'm, I'm not going to list the, the armaments, just the, the things that they are, they are representing. You've got righteousness, the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, and the word of God and prayer. Those are the other ones that come up. You cannot have any of those if you don't have truth salvation righteousness faith gospel none of these can actually exist without truth right so so the truth is is the the very core thing and then at the on the on the other side of this at the very end what's the very last piece of armor that's that's given so you, you start with the belt of truth and the very last thing that's given is what the helmet of salvation go one go one more the sword of the spirit. Right. The sword of the spirit, which is what? So you're not just given this ethereal sword looking thing, right? You're, you're actually given a sword and he tells you what that sword is. The word of God. The word of God, right? So you remember St. Paul does this elsewhere that the, the word of God is a sharp double-edged, or sorry, Hebrews, the, the scriptures are a sharp double-edged sword, right? This is actually for a common picture or Jesus in the book of Revelation. You remember what comes out of Jesus's mouth in the book of Revelation? I'll give you a hint. It's what we were just talking about. It's a sword. Right. So out of Jesus's own mouth is this sword coming out. You can find some great images. Go, go look up artwork on the book of Revelation and, and Jesus and the sword coming out of the super cool artwork that comes from there. So, so that's on the other side. So you've got truth. 
on one side, the belt of truth, and then the, the word of God on the other side. And what's great about it, it's the same thing, right? The word of God and truth are the same thing. Those are synonymous terms that it should be, right? And so what are we, what holds the whole system together? It's God's word. Then what are we given to fight with? What's the, if you notice, everything in here is defensive, right? Belt, I mean, consider that defensive. Breastplate, helmet, all this sort of stuff. Even the shoes, okay? Here's how the shoes work. So this is a pet peeve of mine. So you're just going to have to deal with my pet peeve for a minute. What is put on your feet? In, in the armor of God, what is put on your feet? The readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Right. At that first word, readiness, is what is put on your feet. The gospel of peace is not put on your feet. Okay. Don't do it. Right. Don't, don't say that. And correct people when they say it because it's wrong. It's readiness. Right. And particularly, it's ready to do what St. Paul was talking about earlier, and that is stand. Right. So you, you have to know the, the imagery of the ancient Romans with this, what Paul's describing here. What they would do is they'd take their, their shoes and they would take nails and they would drive them through from the inside down, make these like cleats. Right. And so they would take one foot and they'd, you know, put it in the ground, take the other foot and they'd put it in the ground, set the shield down in front of them. You've kind of got three, these three points of contact. And now you're just kind of this barrier that's sitting there. And if you link shields together with something like that, you actually make this pretty hard to move wall, right? You can actually have a force that like literally runs into the thing and just gets stopped. And then now they're, now they're up at your shields. You've got these little gaps. You can take your sword and kind of go like that and and get the, the enemies. But the point is that you're, you're immovable, right? With these, with these shoes on what the, what the gospel of peace gives you is an immovability a readiness for the fight to hit you. Because again, it's there. Like you don't have to go and find this. You don't have to go very far to find these fights. So this is the, this is the kind of the overarching thing. But what we're given to fight with is God's word, right? Which is given to us on our lips. So, so when we are seeking to stand firm and seeking to be faithful in our vocations, that's going to play out, especially in, in actually talking, right? And th- this is a good thing. The devil is really good at convincing us to think that if we speak up about something that we're going to be ostracized and that we're going to be terrible people and this whole sort of deal. And maybe you get ostracized. Oh, well, right. Here's the thing. There, there's a larger community around you than you realize, right? I will still be your brother in Christ. Even if you're ostracized, I will happily be ostracized with you. Right. And there are plenty of people who are the same way. They will happily be ostracized with you and we'll have our own little leper colony and, you know, be happy. So it was also a joke. And like only one of you smiled. This, this is the, the, the thing that the devil likes to do is he likes to convince us that we're on some sort of an Island, that we're the only ones who would think this way, that we're the only ones that would say such a thing. Right. And if we say, if, if we say anything against whatever, if we speak up for the unborn, for example, or if we speak up against, or if we speak up in, in support of, of marriage and, and these sorts of things that we're weird. Right. And maybe we are right. I mean, the world's kind of crazy though. So I'm, I'm okay being weird. If it, if it's in comparison with the world, that's just kind of lost its mind on everything. 
but the the world's always been weird, right? This is the counsel that that Jesus gives us, right? If if they hate, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you, right? So if nothing else, you're in very good company if you're standing firm in these things because you're in the company of Jesus. And this is the the final kind of picture we want, right? I mentioned this earlier, but here's where the hymn's going to come back in. A mighty fortress, right? So you all know a mighty fortress, right? If you, if you shake your head, no, I'm going to like reach through the screen and, you know, I don't know. I'll figure something out. But have you ever, do you know what the nickname of a mighty fortress is? As far as hymnody is concerned, does anybody know this? It's kind of interesting. The Battle Hymn of the Reformation. The Battle Hymn of the Reformation. Very good. You get like a thousand gold stars. They're they're in the mail. So so I'm gonna just kind of run through this a little bit, right? Different parts of it, but but listen in terms of what we've been talking about, like with fighting, and how this is the great joy that Jesus is fighting for us. He's the guy that's out there in the midst of the fray, slashing all the demons and boot stomping the devil and all this sort of stuff, right? A mighty fortress is our God, a trusty shield and weapon. The old evil foe now means deadly woe, deep guile and great might are his dread arms and fight. On earth is not as equal, but for us fights the valiant one. Ask ye, who is this? Jesus Christ it is of Sabaoth, Lord, there's that word again, right? Of, of the of the armies, Lord, he holds the field forever. And that's field is not like a field of poppies, right? It's battlefield. He's by our side upon the plain, battle plain with his good gifts and spirit. So we're, we're not left to ourselves, right? He comes and he fights, but he also gives us his good gifts, the word and the sacraments to sustain us in the truth and his spirit. He sends us the Holy spirit as our comforter and advocate and this is the this is the part where I always cry when I sing this. And take they our life, goods, fame, child, wife. Though these all be gone, they have yet nothing won. The kingdom remains ours, right? And and I think the one that we are especially tempted with, we're like they they can kill me. Fine, I'm not really worried about that. Y'all don't have uh, children and spouse yet. That one's a little bit harder. I will say for most of us, though, the one that really gets us and where the devil really drives at this is fame, our reputation, right? That the devil has learned or the devil knows that we've learned to value our reputation publicly very, very highly. And we've got to kind of let go of that. The, the, the world is, is never going to be a, a great champion of Christianity and of the truth, right? We're, we're the bastions of that. We're, we're the ones who own the truth. And so the world urged on by the devil is going to try and take our reputation from us. But this is where the Christian community is so important, right? You're not alone, right? You have your local church. You have the broader church. You also have all the saints who have gone on in glory, the great cloud of witnesses who are with you. And you have your Lord Jesus. Yeah, he's always there uh, with you, right? So th th this is... This is how this is all going, right? And, and then this, this comfort, right? From Exodus 14, I actually have this in my, in my house up, again, up across one of the ceiling things. The Lord will fight for you. You need only to be still, right? This is the, the, the really wonderful thing. The Lord doesn't want us 
running out into the fray. He wants us standing where he's placed us. And all of us have, you know, different places where he's placed us, right? That doesn't mean it doesn't require activity, right? It doesn't mean that you like stay in your bed all the time because the Lord has placed me in my bed or something like that, right? It means that you go and you fight the battles where they're at, right? And you can do that joyfully and boldly, knowing that one, you're not alone. I mean, there's like six of you, or I can't count five of you here right now. I'm here. So that's six. Michelle's here. That's seven. Right. And then all the countless other people, right. That, that are with you as well. We don't fight this alone. And, you know, you cannot fear the retribution of these things. And, you know, whether you're a, again, a student, whatever kind of student, uh, friend, neighbor, coworker, child, eventually, you know, husband or wife, mother, father, right? That, that you can stand firm in the truth on all this, knowing that the Lord's the one actually fighting the battle and he's, he's already given you the victory, right? Thanks for joining us for today's life topic. Check out whyforlife.org or email michelle at whyforlife.org to find out how and when you can go live with us at our next Chats for Life session. Or join us next time right here at Why for Life Podcasts, where youth learn how to be gospel-motivated voices for life.